You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, uh, welcome to the first introductory talk, uh, or I don't know if you've, I guess it's a sermon. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird, right? It's weird. Uh, welcome to the first introductory talk in our series, Left and Right. Um, over the next 11 weeks, uh, if you didn't notice the big massive sign um, or the bulk load of Instagram posts, um, the next 11 weeks, we're going to be considering some tough topics, um, topics that are, are relevant to the day and age of which uh, we are in. We're going to be thinking about freedom of religion, euthanasia, refugees, race relations, climate change, freedom of speech, transgender rights, gender equality, pro-life versus pro-choice. Some significant topics uh, for us to think about together, some important topics for us to think about together. Now, despite the name uh, being left and right, uh, I want to say from the front, um, and even, uh, even as I list out those topics that we're going to cover over the next couple of months, uh, please hear this. I want us to think of this not as a political series. I want us to think of this as a gospel series, as a gospel series. You know, I'm not a politician. You might have noticed for my lack of North Face jacket and tie. Um, I'm a pastor uh, and I have one card to play. I have one card to play and that card is the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Life now in the kingdom of God through trust, trusting in the finished work of Jesus. You know, and I think that if human history has anything to teach us, if, if I even just think of my own experience, if that has anything to contribute to these highly volatile personal topics, you know, it's, it's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that just puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? See, there's a really, there, there, there really is bigger problems than freedom of religion, free speech, euthanasia, and I don't mean to diminish those things, but there is a bigger problem, isn't there? And that is death and judgment from the Most High God. And the gospel is the answer to this. It is God's good answer. And let me tell you this. There's some pretty incredible overflow effects of how the gospel deals with those big things and then how it trickles down to deal with the other leftover things of our sin and our rebellion. The gospel puts everything in perspective. This is a gospel series. So I long every week to remind you of the gospel. If you've been coming to Sydney or Surf Coast for uh, hopefully more than two weeks, you've noticed a, a trend. We want to keep coming back to the gospel. If you've led in City Kids, you know that the thing they start with is the gospel. If you're a part of a gospel community, you know the first question that you'll be articulating is, in three minutes, can you tell me what is the gospel? So, hey, look, it is good and right for us to think about the left and the right perspectives, but let us be drawn more to thinking about the gospel and how that can lead us through the worst of both. Because knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And there's no greater love than what God shows to us in Jesus Christ, his son. Now, I don't know how you're feeling as we go into a series like this. 
don't know how you're feeling. I don't know how you've been reacting to some of those, some of the posts that we've seen, you know, the, the, the nice videos that have been put out from our lovely Melbourne Central team. I don't know how you're feeling. Uh, for me, over the past couple of weeks, I've realized, I've finally been able to articulate why speaking on them in this way, in a church context, just feels a little bit like yuck. Because uh, I feel like this stage dynamic, like this is like, this is super, I can see all your faces, which I'm so thankful for. If we were in a cinema, I can't see anyone, but I can see all of you and you're all beautiful. Love you. Proud of you guys. Well done. Um, but this is not, this is very impersonal. Like this is not a conversation to where I can react to your immediate expression or from the impression I may or may not have intended to make. Like this is clunky. Like this, this, this is awkward. Like there's, there's a way of talking to someone in a one-on-one dinner table, coffee, coffee table context, which is hard to, to do here and now. I can't, it's really tough for me to communicate my love and for you guys uh, through an extended dialogue. So there's a lot that could be taken the wrong way and probably will be. So with that said, I want to, uh, I want to say from the front with this dynamic that we're in, I just want to say a big word of thanks. And I'll probably say this every week. Thanks for coming to something like this uh, for where we go after these ideas. Uh, because for some of you, I know these are personally very hard. And so it says a lot for you to come and to make a real effort uh, to be here today to listen to at least what that pastor guy has to say. So I want to acknowledge that. Um, so thank you. And I pray that even this series can be the beginning of a helpful, gentle, listening conversation. Also, in light of this dynamic that we're in, I have a, hum- I have a humble plea. Uh, I want to ask for your grace. I want to ask for a, a spirit that gives the benefit of the doubt uh, when, when I can't cover everything uh, that I want to, or in particular detail that you might not want me to, or when I don't cover something at all. Um, you know, all of these topics, they're worth, you know, a, a short book on this of like a six hour audio book on Audible, like that's 60,000 words. All of these topics are worth at least a medium sized book. I have about 4,000 words today. Um, so needless to say, every week we can't say everything, but we'll tr- I'll try and say something. Um, I'm, I'm working hard to understand and to be thoughtful, uh, to be compassionate and to be kind, and also to represent God well and rightly. So I want to ask for your grace for when I don't get something right or dive deep enough where I could have. We will have a Q&A time after each sermon, of which I'm terrified by. Um, and today is very broad, so we'll see how we go, but we'll have a go. We'll have a go. Now, with that said, in asking for your grace, I want to ask that you would take that same way of thinking into your gospel communities, into your follow-up conversations during the week. I want to ask that you keep practicing that. Practice being gracious, being patient, being kind, listen, seek to understand, try to hear the person behind the words that you hear, not what you think it is that they're saying by what they didn't say. I think there in our posture of engaging the world, it's really helpful to come back to the character of God, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Can we be those people as image bearers of that one true God? I want to pray that we can be. 
And let me further that plea as you take that attitude of thinking, that way of thinking to your gospel communities and church conversations, uh, take that out into the world. Let us be a people of salt and light to a patient, gracious, kind and who are willing to listen before we speak. You know, I really hope that our Sundays and our prayer times together and our gospel community together, I really hope that these become our introductory moments, uh, opportunities for us to create safe safe spaces to have more conversations if necessary. Let us be a people who allow room, allow room for healing if necessary, for apology if necessary, repentance when necessary, and a fresh start when necessary. This is not a political series. This is a gospel series. Let us learn to love others in the same way that Christ has loved us. So week one, Jesus in a political age. I hope today you see the unique way of Jesus that can give you clarity and confidence in this world. The unique way of Jesus that will give you clarity and confidence in this world. Do you have clarity and confidence in face as you face the big issues of today? What have your reactions already been to the topics that have been listed out in this series? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Well, uh, there's actually been some people that have already been thinking about people's reactions to these common uh, scenarios. I wonder which one of you, one of them is you. Now, one common reaction, which chatting to some of you, I feel like maybe is a good summary of how, how some of us uh, would generally be thinking. One of the most common reactions is that we want to withdraw. We want to withdraw. You know, just withdraw from these issues. You know, I don't really want to engage. Um, I don't, I'm just going to give this conversation a miss. I'm just going to turn off the news feed and I'm just going to medicate my brain with uh, something else. Uh, something else so I don't have to think about this issue that's going on. Maybe you want to withdraw. Maybe as we uh, enter into thinking about these things, maybe, maybe you worry. Maybe, you, maybe you're a warrior. Uh, I know that a lot of these topics have cause for anxiety. I mean, I know people that because of the world that we're living in, the cultural moment, that they're, they've made a decision to not have kids because of the world that it's turning into. I know people that are, that are choosing the type of job that they have because of the cultural climate that we're currently in. I know people that their living circumstances, they'll literally move house to live in a completely different area because of these things, because of the worry that they can cause. Maybe you withdraw, maybe you worry. But there's some other reactions as well, isn't there? Maybe you say this is the other side, how people react. Um, there's people that, that really love some of these issues. And there's some in particular, they just want to get behind them. And they want to worship these issues. So these, these issues, are, they, they, they are the main thing. You know, they'll, they will, there's, there's some topics that will, our, their response will justify all of the decisions in their life. We can worship some of these issues, can't we? And if there isn't an, an affection and a desire to pursue one in particular, if to worship it, there's also the other. You can go to war on some of these issues, can't you? You can go to war. You can respond to something that you don't like in an act of tribalism to jump on a bandwagon and to tear down something that you don't agree with. Some people see these issues as battles to be fought and to win, to reach the promised land of true freedom. 
So maybe you withdraw, maybe you worry, maybe you worship, maybe you go to war. And the last one in the way that we can respond is we can just give into worldliness. That's right, five W's. Uh, I can't take credit for that, but you can give into worldliness. And that is just submit, just submit to it. Just whatever, just go with the flow, buy into the culture of right now and just disengage with a thoughtless submission to societal pressure and just go with the flow, you know? And it's easy, right? Just love is love, man. No means no, you means you, and that seems logical. Yeah, let's go with that. Withdraw, worry, worship, war, worldliness. Maybe you feel some of that towards some of these topics. Now, a really something I've been thinking about, which I hope serves you today to think about with me, is why do we have these responses to these cultural issues? Like, why do we think this way? Like, what has happened in our in our time and in our age to bring us to this cultural moments and to force these feelings to bubble up within us. Because, you know, our reactions to things, they're not formed within a vacuum, are they? We breathe a certain type of air. We're all consuming a, a, a common culture. So what is it that makes us feel these ways? What is it that makes us feel these ways? Uh, fascinating to dive into some of the cultural commentators and philosophers that help we're trying to understand why we react. There's been some philosophers that have described our cultural moment, the time that we are experiencing as a loss of moral knowledge. Our cultural climate is one where we are experiencing a loss of moral knowledge, the disappearance of moral knowledge. It's a culture with no objective standard for right and wrong. No objective standards for right and wrong. Um, in my work as a physiotherapist, uh, there'd be a couple of things that I would do to help dis- to help discern someone the type of injury that someone might have, and then the progress that they're making as we would re- rehabilitate them. Um, now, say someone comes in with a sore back, part of that was a subjective assessment, part of that was an objective assessment. Okay, so an an, ob- uh, an objective assessment uses measurements that can't be changed. Like there's there's a tool that physios sometimes use. It's called a goniometer. A goniometer. It's fun to say goniometer, um, but it's basically this thing that measures angles, and you can measure the angle that someone can move with, and you get a number. So it's like sweet, 90 degrees. Well done. Good on you. That's an objective assessment. You can't argue with the goniometer. You know, you go back and you treat and you come back three weeks later. You did the goniometer assessment week one, 75 degrees. Goniometer assessment week three, 90 degrees. You're like, we've made progress. And look, the goniometer doesn't lie. It's an objective assessment. That's not all we use, though. In physio, you, you use a subjective assessment. It's just like, you know, how are you feeling today? How are you going? You know, out of 10, um, you know, rate how good you're feeling. You know, and, and that's a subjective. That's just how I feel. You know, I rock up one day, yeah, week one. Week one, I was a 3 out of 10. That's my feeling. Week 10, I'm a, like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a 4 out of 10. I'm a bit better. That's my subjective experience. But that's just based on how you feel. Now, just quietly, as a physio, I'd love, I love the objective assessment because people are fickle, right? They come in and you've been treating them for like, and, and when I used to work in gyms, did a lot of work in gyms and you would rehab with weights and we would have gym machines that you'd just be measuring how strong people were all the time. And people come in and they say, oh, Louis, I think I'm going backwards. 
I picked up a tissue the other day and oh, I felt my back. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Let's go do some of your rehab together. And then while you're doing your rehab, you're like, gee, Jono, look at you. You're lifting 80 pounds today. Do you know how much you were lifting day one? Three. So I think your back is getting better. You might feel terrible, but the weights don't lie. You are getting stronger. And that's an objective assessment. Philosophers today look at moral knowledge in our society and they say that there is a loss of moral knowledge and that is that there is a loss of an objective standard for right and wrong, good and bad. They use one question that's been used is, if you were to give someone a test and on that test ask the question, is it wrong to lie, can they fail that test in today's day and age? Can you fail someone in a you be you, be true to yourself culture? What objective standard does our world have to now guide our culture? It seems that we live with subjective experience being the primary way to define our reality. Be true to yourself, be you to you. And now I feel like, you know, we come, we're in this, you know, 2022, we are reaching a critical high point of the logic of, of no objective morality playing out. We are beginning to discover what be true to yourself or do whatever feels good right now. We're discovering what that philosophy of life eventually leads to in society. And so when you come to questions, like abortion and euthanasia, refugees, transgender. What do you do when society decides that the best measure for morality is whatever he says it is and then whatever he says it is, whatever she says it is, whatever they say it is? How do you measure that? How do you come to an objective consensus? Because it used to be, it used to be that the teachings of the great philosophers and even Jesus Christ himself, these were the ones that were contributing to the conversations to form some societal objective standard. But now in our modern culture, Jesus as a man of knowledge, he has been sidelined under a banner of religion and faith that by today's definitions means you aren't allowed to include those things into any conversation with morality. So what then guides our moral knowledge today? Surely something is still working out how we make laws and how we construct society. Well, still despite the longing to completely throw Jesus out, a lot of society's underlying principles still take from Jesus' main teaching, which is love, which is love. Specifically, it has been a, a borrowing of what has been a, com a common expression now found in many religious philosophies and teaching since emerging since the Bible, and that is do to others as you would want them to do to yourself or love your neighbour as yourself, okay? That is the common expression of understanding of love. But there's a problem with that definition here and now, isn't there, with that logic, isn't there? Because for you to be true to yourself so in society, if you're going to love, the way that you might love yourself is going to be different to the way the other person loves himself because we now have no objective standard for love. Love is as how I define it and how I define it and how I define it. 
So love your neighbor as yourself or do to others as you would want them to want to do, all of a sudden has this very fluid definition. The definition of love is incredibly fluid. It's hard to define because there's other, it's hard to define because of personal, personal like anecdote. And then it's hard to define because the other words that people use to define love are also fluid. So we have this problem. It's a significant problem, isn't it? Little to no objective morality in today's culture. And if that is not bad enough, throw this into the mix. Because for most people today, here and now, YOLO. You only live once. So of course, people are going to fight tooth and nail to live their best life now, aren't they? People are going to do everything that they can to love themselves. And it's unloving for any of you to say that what I might maybe doing is wrong, right? Because this is my definition of love. We're in this cultural moment where there's a loss of moral knowledge and there's no longer any standard or objective measure for right, wrong, good, evil, love and hate. We're trapped in an environment that is constantly run by the fear of man. It's run by this fear of being condemned. Fear of not being seen righteous or right or just or a good person in the world's eyes. Because when you're trying to define love and it's a fluid definition, who are you going to look to for affirmation? How do you know when you're getting it right? It's what some in our culture, some of our called our culture, our culture is one of infinite responsibility. The clothes that you wear, the jobs that you have, every choice you now make has the potential for every other person in this world to make a moral judgment on you. Yeah? Take this shirt, for example. Oh, you bought a Rip Curl shirt. That's a branded shirt. Do you know that they have people in China that are like, I don't, so I don't know. I've Rip Curl actually doing that. I probably should take the tuck. But people can, or I can be like, oh, look at you. You bought a Rip Curl shirt. Good on you for supporting local. Well done. It's just like, you know, it's, it's just, well, and that's just, that's just two views. That's just buying a shirt. We have no clear measure of what is good and we have little confidence to pick one way or another because we now have this paralyzing set of options. And this is so tiring. Always seeking to try to please everyone around us. And so when we're faced with these hard topics, like what we're going to cover in the next 11 weeks, we begin to feel that we want to withdraw or maybe we worry or maybe there's one like, you know what, I praise that one, I'm going after that one or maybe there's a couple that we're just like going to water that or maybe there's some who's just like, I'm just going to give in. I'm just going to worship it. Let's go with the flow. So we need to ask, where is the clarity and confidence for a clear way to negotiate this life? Where is it? Well, the Bible teaches that there is another response. It's not to withdraw. It's not to worry. It's not to worship the culture. It's not to go to war against the culture. It's not to take on the ways of the, this world. There is another way. And it's the way of Jesus. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus who says, I have come 
that you may have life and have it abundantly. The Bible, Jesus teaches that this cultural moment is not all there is. And if you felt the pressure of this cultural moment, I'm going, okay, Jesus, I'm listening. There's another option. Jesus comes and he gives an objective standard for what is right and a wise life. You see, Jesus' first words at the beginning of his ministry give this away. He doesn't hold back. He goes in hard. First words, the beginning of his public ministry, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus enters into the political picture of his day, which, mate, crazy, ridiculous. We'll get to that next week. And invites people to a radical redirection and rethinking of their life. The time is fulfilled. That is, everything that has now been built, established the foundation that was necessary, the experience of certain emotions and physical, 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 spiritual, all of that foundation has now been laid. It's ready. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or in Luke's gospel, the kingdom of God is here. God's government is here. A culture led by the Messiah, the chosen one by God, the rescuer, has arrived. It's the way of truth. It's a way of God. It's the way of the God of love. It's finally broken in. And guess what? You're invited to it. See, what is Jesus starting off with his first announcement? Where where does this eventually go? It is God is now delivering us from the domain of darkness and he is transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And if that sounds familiar, that's borrowed straight from Colossians 1 that we heard last week. So have you ever felt like there's got to be more to life than this? Have you ever sensed there's an unseen spiritual dimension to our world that is at work in your own life? Have, Have you ever felt a deep, unexplainable, unquenchable longing in the pit of your soul that has never been able to be truly, lastingly filled by what the world offers. Felt any of those things? Well, it's probably because there is more to this life. There is a spiritual dimension to this world. And that unexplainable longing, it gets explained by Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. So we get to understand this. Two realms, two teams, two families, two ways. The Bible uses these descriptions. There is the way of the flesh and then there is the way of the spirit. There is the kingdom of darkness and then there is the kingdom of light. There is a knowledge of evil and then there is a knowledge of good. There is a way of disunity and there is a way of peace. There is a life of endless striving or there is a life of rest. There is a people of hatred or there is a people of love. There is a way that leads to death and there is Jesus' way that leads to life. Two ways to go. Two ways to go. A world that... To run in it, you've got to run your own race of self-determination. 
void of objective truth and good. And it's one that is always going to leave you in one of the five responses that we thought about before. Or you can run in this world by God's determination, a different race with a clearly defined morality, a clearly defined good, a clearly defined set of loving principles and truth. And it's one that doesn't lead you to the five W's. It's one that leads to God's peace, purpose, power, no matter what the circumstance. And I can say that with great confidence because Jesus modeled this life to us. You know what? And I don't see Jesus worrying or withdrawing from culture. I don't see him giving into culture. I don't see him going to war face to face. Don't see that being his primary mission in his culture. I don't see him getting high and mighty about one particular way to live his life within the culture. Two realms. One of flesh, one of spirit. And hey, you can have love as defined by you based on what people have said and how you're feeling at the time. Or you can have Christ's way, love as it is defined by Jesus based on what he's done for all time. That's a key distinction, isn't it? That's a key distinction. Jesus went ahead and was like, let us not define love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That's a key distinction because the world offers an individualistic citizenship with your own subjective standard for living. Now, at first, that sounds really appealing, doesn't it? Make my own way, go my own way, pick and choose of the buffet of life's options. Sounds amazing until you discover that it's constantly a constantly changing playing field and that the flavor of the decade is whoever is loudest in the moment. And it's exhausting. Or you can have what the Bible teaches and what Jesus offers, which is Jesus comes and he offers kingdom citizenship with an objective standard for living. And it's one that he teaches. It's one that he encourages. And it's also one that he models in himself. He models in himself. So he teaches John 13, our reading before, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment. So that's God language. You know, who's adding to the Bible? Only God can. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I loved you. Whoa, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Just as I have loved you. When Jesus gives a new commandment, love one another as I loved you, how do we know? Where do we need to look to go as I have loved you? What is that? You need to look at the cross. You need to look at the the logo for the Christian faith. You need to look at Easter. You need to go Romans 8, Romans 5, 8. For God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Philippians 2, 6, 8. This is love in action. Though he was in the form of God, boom, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, 
by becoming obedient, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There is the way of Jesus right there. There is your objective morality right there. That is kingdom of God living right there. Obedience to God, humility, denial of self. And it's from a posture of compassion, empathy, patience, forbearance, faithfulness, mercy, humility, love. And for what reason? So that people may be saved from the effects of sin. Love. Jesus standard for love, modelled, demonstrated, lived. It's like Jesus knew, right? It's like God knew that there'd be a future set of philosophers and variations of man-made morality that would borrow from the Bible's teaching and they rebrand it. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's like Jesus knew that there would be a future society where love your neighbour as yourself would get skewed and misrepresented and it would find itself in the chaos of subjective morality. And so Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Love, the love of Christ, the love of God, the love that we are to have for one another, the love that we are to have for this world. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Love is not resentful. The love of Christ does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this love never ends. That, friends, is the kingdom of God way. That, friends, is the way the kingdom has been beautifully, sacrificially displayed in the king himself. Jesus is not going, do as I say, it's do as I did as Jesus did. And so you can live in the way of Jesus and it can free you from a temptation to withdraw or to worry or to worship or to war or into worldliness. How? Well, at the heart of all of those responses, what we talked about, it's a fear of man, isn't it? It's a fear that whatever you, whatever way that you might go, that there's going to be some person or some people group that you won't be expected, accepted by. That's fear of man. It's a, it's a self-preservation, isn't it? Fear of not being accepted by our peers around us. But a kingdom person, it's not fear of man. Is it fear of man that, that drives them into living the way of Jesus? Nope. Deep down, the heart motivation for following Jesus we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And all of us have baggage, don't we? We all have stories that we're not proud of, stories of how we have embraced the world's culture around us and we didn't live in the way of, of God. And those stories, that way of life, that's not fitting for a kingdom citizen. 
You can't have that on your life resume. No one passes the citizenship test into the kingdom of God when the background checks show, background check shows up for past life, right? But Jesus takes that baggage away, doesn't he? See, what was coming for our disobedience from God gets put on Jesus. And what should have been given to Jesus for his greatness that he showed in this world gets given to us. Being brought into the kingdom of light, the great exchange. Jesus gets death on the cross in our place and we get life. And it's when you truly realize the extent of this amazing grace So when you truly grasp what Christ has done to love you, that what God has done to love you, that he would give his only son willingly, lovingly, sacrificially, compassionately, so that he could trade places in with you, so that there would not have to be the face, you would not have to face the judgment for your messed up past life, but instead have eternal life. When you deep down have get that heart motivation for following Jesus, that reality, that that puts your heart, not into the fear of man, but into the fear of God. Adoration, reverential respect and love for this most high God, a father. And it releases us from the fear of man. You have the acceptance of the one true God. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. You know what that means? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all that we need for this life and the life to come? And the rest of the world, well, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is going to condemn us? Who is going to condemn you? If you are in Christ, see Christ, Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God and who is right now interceding for you to God. So you can worry about what everyone in the world thinks about you. And maybe you want to withdraw or do all those other things. But what happens when it's just like, well, hold on a minute. I have the approval. I have the love. I have the acceptance, the God of the universe. So what do you want? Do you want the way of the world? An increasingly subjective morality, always seeking the approval of your fellow humanity? Or do you want the way of Jesus? Freedom and life in the demonstrated love of God. If you've never take steps towards following Jesus before, come chat to me afterwards. Love to have that conversation with you, get you started, point you in the right direction, give you some some reading, help you to pray and ask God to help you in that way. But let's take a breath for a moment. And for a moment, I want to speak to those of you that would say you're a Christian now, Some of you might be thinking this, and this is following my own train of thought here. 
Maybe you're thinking, yep, Louis, kingdom stuff, good. I know that God loves me. I'm keen for the Jesus way. I'm doing that. You know, I got baptized. I go to church, gospel community. Yeah, sounds good. Kind of do that. But I still feel like I'm stuck in one of those other categories. Like I, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I trust Jesus, but I still worry. Or I still want to withdraw. Or I still find myself worshipping some of today's cultural issues. How does the way of Jesus change my reactions to this world's issues? I'm still not convinced of the clarity and confidence piece. Maybe that's you. That's you, let's chat. I want you to know how the gospel of the kingdom of God changes everything. Okay? And it's about our perception. We need to circle back around to the kingdom of God. For me, at least, what helps me most in processing my responses to today's issues and the ones that we're going to be thinking about, applying to my heart the third line of the Lord's Prayer is the greatest help. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That line for me, your kingdom come, is one of the most helpful filters to process my reactions and interactions to much of these world's issues. Your kingdom come. See, I truly believe that in a, that in that an, a daily increasing of our understanding of the kingdom of God can keep releasing us from worry and withdrawal and war and worship to all of today's pressures. It releases us because it gives us a new way of seeing the playing field that we're all engaging on as followers of Jesus. So basic question, what is the kingdom of God? Christ's kingly rule. It's Jesus as king. It's he's the prince of peace. It's his government. It's a Christ culture. And the kingdom of God is a present reality for us to be participating in here and now, as well as forever. Okay, It's not just the culture of heaven to come. It's the way of life for God's kingdom citizens right here and now a way of freedom and a way of witness. You see, the world will say, like if, you know, you go to like one of those memorial services and everyone does the token Lord's Prayer where they still do it. And there's a few different types of people. Some people are like, kingdom of God, I don't even know what that means. So that's just heaven, I guess. The kingdom, the kingdom is true. We know that because Jesus brought in the kingdom and Jesus is alive. He's defeated death. He's displayed and still displays his power and he's taught and modeled and shown the way to live rightly as the king of kingdom citizens. So we know the kingdom is true. We know the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. We know the kingdom is now. We can take Jesus at his word. The kingdom of God is here. Luke 17. And Jesus now gives us the access and the power and the path to live in it as a citizen of the kingdom here and now. We're adopted in, aren't we? Drawn in. We all once were far off. You've been brought near. Okay. And the kingdom of God is also one day forever, okay? It's now, but it's also forever. So, you know, it's not YOLO, it's YOLO, at a H. Not YOLO, it's YOLO. You only live once here. You can tweet that if you want, I don't know. You know, this life is a warming up for eternity. It's getting ready for what Jesus, it's getting ready for what Jesus has started 
and it's inviting and witnessing to the world around us. It's a, and it's a final finishing up of the purposes of God with Jesus in the power of his spirit. Now that's a big sentence. It's the final finishing up of the purposes of God with Jesus in the power of his spirit. What's the Bible verse for that? Jesus' last words. First word, kingdom of God is here. Last words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. You see, a kingdom of God citizen, a disciple of Christ, is, is, it's not that you once off believed in Jesus and look forward to the kingdom coming and a future eternal life. That's not what you're praying when you pray, you like kingdom come. It's a every day, I believe in Jesus and I trust him and put my confidence in him for every moment until his return. It's living now in the way of life, not in the way of death, but in the way of life. One, one pastor put it, he's just like, so many of us are willing to entrust, God, entrust to God our souls for eternity, but we don't live as if we trust God for a sandwich. It stings a little bit, doesn't it? It's also hilarious because it's true. So kingdom of God here and now, but maybe some of you are still thinking, Louis, I've done some reading, kingdom of God. Isn't the kingdom of God now, but not yet? I've heard that, you know, I thought the kingdom of God was living like a foot in two worlds, one in eternity, one in this world. I thought that was kingdom of God. You know, like you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Does anyone think that? Has anyone had those? I, I used to think that. Now, it's really helpful here to understand that the kingdom of God should include our understanding of the kingdom of God should include not only its timing, but also our attitude. Not just its timing, but our attitude, okay? That common phrase, the kingdom of God is now, but not yet, is timing language. Timing language. You know, Because no, we do not yet have the kingdom of God fully present in and around us, so around us for us to live in. We still feel the presence of sin okay sin we we are released from the presence of sin and glorification but if you have responded to christ's invitation into his kingdom and you declare him as lord and you know that you have received the gift of his holy spirit a spirit of power and of love and of self-control sure you don't have kingdom of god fully physically present around you to live in but you do now have the kingdom of God fully powerfully present in you for you to live out. Do you see the difference? To illustrate this, I think it's helpful to think of like two Venn diagrams. The nerds are like, ooh, Venn diagrams. Kingdom timing. Kingdom timing is the two circles, okay? Now there's the kingdom of godliness, I don't know a circle, and a kingdom of godlessness, all right? Or the no sin, presence of sin, all right? And the kingdom of God is now but not yet is like this, and we live in the middle pit, yeah? Okay, 
by the power of God's Spirit, we live in this life where there's sin around us and we're still working things out, but we look to Jesus and we follow Him and we say, and we're looking forward to when, you know, we take our first breath in the new world and we go home to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yep, kingdom timing. Kingdom attitude is a circle of, okay, two worlds, two realms, yeah? Self-led subjective morality over here, fear of man. And then there is God's objective morality, fear of God, love by God. And these two circles, uh uh-uh, don't let them overlap. They don't overlap. They don't overlap. And this is great. This is great because often I think we feel like they do and then we get stuck in the middle and we're like, how the heck do I figure this out? How do I engage with this person? And I don't know what to do. It's just like, no, 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 draw them out. When you read through the New Testament and the letters of the, like Paul to like read through uh, all of them, just all of them. He talks in these two different, like those in those within the faith and those that are not in the faith. And it's and it's yeah, there's a, there's a way of engaging the kingdom of knowing the kingdom of God is the wisdom of how to engage between the both. But to know that they're separate, it gives clarity and confidence because it helps to resolve and settle in our minds everything that we're seeing around us. Oh, Louis taken off. We have clarity and we can have confidence because. You can be over here and you're a kingdom citizen. You've got the power of the spirit. You're seeking to follow Christ and you can look at the world around you and you can go, well, I'm in, there's, there's two realms here. There's two worlds at work. And when I'm, when there's something happening over here in this world over here, I don't have to, I can, I don't have to victimize them because I see them actually as a victim of sin. So, I can love them. I can show compassion on them. It means I'm not going to go along with them and everything because, hey, look, this is my identity over here. This is where I, this is where I live. This is, this is what I'm going to do. But I'm going to seek to engage with them and, and, and understand that there's a difference. So I've got clarity and, and a, a confidence in how to live. And I don't have to try and fit in. I don't have to, I, I'm not in that camp. So I don't have to change the way I'm living to try and fit in here because I'm in this kingdom. Do you see how that's like so releasing? So, 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 and it, it helps us engage. Now, we're going to go through more of this throughout the series. Like, we want to love people. So we want to love those that are not within the household of faith. And love, how to love well takes a lot of wisdom. Okay? It's always nuanced. It's always personal. It's always based on the context. You know, some parents will say, give the exact same instruction to their kids. And... It's a like sorry, a different instruction to the same scenario. Some parents will say no for the benefit of their kids. Can I have a lolly? Some parents will say yes for the benefit of their kids. Can I have a lolly? Okay, but there's a different there's a different goal. Anyway, we're going to get to that later on. So there's a clarity in how we're able to engage with the world. We can understand that there's two realms at work, and then there's also confidence. There's confidence that as we live in this one, living for an audience of one living in to honour Christ and love those around us. It means that whatever we do in the safety of this kingdom that we exist in, 
It means that whatever we do, we're in, a, we're in God's grace. We're in God's love. Like, it's, it's great. Like, you can't, if, if, you're, if your heart is in the right place and your, your intentions are to, like, how do I honour God in this? Like, you can't, you can't get it wrong. Like, you can't get, like, there's going to be times when you're just like, I know that God is calling me to love this person, whether it's in this sphere or that sphere, and I want to try and do the right thing. And I'm going to go to go to the Bible, I'm going to see what it says, and I'm going to try my best, I'm going to pray about this. How do I do this well? And if your heart is in the right place, and if you're not trying to live in an active spirit of rebellion that's spiteful, and how do I, if you're just like, God, I just generally want to have a go and do this right, like there's, there's grace there. It's like even if from the world standard you get it wrong, even if like, you know, other, even if you later on look back and go, oh, gee, I can't believe I did that, there's still grace. There's still God's love, like the confidence to live because you're safe in God's kingdom here. Um, now, I'm wary of using this illustration, but this was, this was me. Like this, 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 this reality gave me confidence when as a church we faced the whole COVID-19 mandate mess, right? Like we had, a, we had like, it, that sucked. That really sucked. Like you couldn't please anyone in that. Like, the, and there's so many different ways to go. Every, and you know, and it was so, so complex. But you had to make a decision, didn't you? Do you do two services? Do you exclude people? Do you do one service? Do you include everyone? Do you know, do you do a bunch of different services? Do you reach out? Do you, you know, oh, what do I do? But when you know that it's just like, look, God, I'm going to make the best decision I can in the time that I'm in with the information that I've got, and I'm going to try and honour you and I'm going to do this slowly and with prayer and with a humble dependence that everything will be okay. There's grace in that. And look, talk to whoever you want. Some people will be like, yeah, we did that well. Some people are like, nah, you stuff that. But even if I did completely screw it up, there's more grace. There's more grace. Even if you like, like, I'm trying to live for Jesus, I'm trying to do the right thing, and then, you know, two weeks later, you're like, gosh, I definitely acted wrongly in doing that. There's more grace. You're in Christ's kingdom. You're in his family. There's more grace. It's like, oh, I voted below the line for that person. And now that person's in. What was I doing? Look, there's more grace. There's more grace. God loves you. So there's clarity and there's confidence when you can see and understand your life as one, as a kingdom citizen here and now, and you live out of that, but you, you have a, it gives you a helpful distance so you don't have to feel like you've got to conform to the other mess that, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Where do we go from, from here? We don't have to withdraw. We don't have to worry. Don't have to worship the culture. Don't have to go to war. Don't have to give in. Simply do this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I hope that as a church we can keep leaning into our kingdom identity I hope that as a church, we can be everyday disciples of Jesus doing what he said, loving each other, loving this world as he has loved us. 
Now, what about the rubber hitting the road and all of this? What does life actually look like in the political high-tension moments where we actually live under a government in this world that doesn't submit to the values or Jesus' way? What does kingdom of God living look like if we're committed to that? Well, we've got 10 more weeks to keep thinking about that and um, no time now. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.